What's happening, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Crossed Up on a Monday morning. Philly's coming off a four-game sweep of the New York Mets. Anthony, uh, that's always fun. It doesn't matter where the Mets are at. Are they good? They're bad? They're dreadful? They're irrelevant? It's it's always fun to kind of take it to the Mets and some of those guys on that team. So, good weekend for the Phillies. They are on the brink of not only clinching a postseason spot, but certainly clinching the opportunity to host that first round of the playoffs at Citizens Bank Park next week. They're right there. Uh, and it looks like they might have the opportunity to wrap that up very, very early this week. I'll bring you in. It was a, it was an interesting weekend in a lot of ways. It was a good weekend in a lot of ways. And like last night, especially, uh, some, some really interesting storylines developing here for this team, which you don't always see this late in the season. No, you don't, Bob. And uh, the interesting storylines are really kind of the the Phillies' potential answer. And I say potential because, you know, there's still some decisions I think that are going to be ma- needed to be made here over the final week. But the prote- the potential answer to the worries and and concerns that a lot of fans have about the bullpen and 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 where it's at and how it's going to be constructed and how reliable it is for the postseason. Um, and I think that that's we saw three guys pitch for the Phillies last night, who are going to be probably going to be part of the postseason bullpen at some point. I'm not convinced. We'll get into Orion Kirkering in a minute, but I'm not convinced he's there for the first series. But I think he might be there beyond that. Uh, Christopher Sanchez got some interesting comments from from uh, Rob Thompson about him and his potential postseason role, and then Michael Lorenzen, who you know had one a final had one of those. All right, maybe he finally you know figured out his, his what was going wrong there for a few for a few outings and had a nice performance yesterday. So, I mean, like there were some really good signs from that game against the Mets. And, and uh, yeah, I think we're going to be looking at a bullpen that's a lot, not a lot different, but has a little bit more, conf- they have a little bit more confidence in than they did maybe a week ago, and then even more so than they did last season when they went into the playoffs. So we've spent a lot of time talking about Christopher Sanchez, uh, should he be a part of the postseason roster? Should he take the ball as a fourth starter if the Phillies need one in the playoffs? And I think we probably should revisit that because there are some new developments and things to talk about as it relates directly yep. to Christopher Sanchez. But I couldn't imagine turning on a Phillies podcast the morning after a four-game sweep against the Mets and not leading with what was the big story last night uh, in Orion Kirkering. And 12-pitch inning. A pair of strikeouts, a lot of sliders, and his stuff was nasty. And it was it was one of those moments where it's it's a Sunday night in the middle of the NFL regular season. It's it's an important game because the Phillies are trying to get into into the playoffs here and wrap this thing up. But like honestly, man, the reaction on Twitter sort of startled me. Like people were going crazy watching him throw the baseball last night, and. You know, it was pitching ninja and all of these different uh, player development people and, uh, you know, writers, minor league writers, and, and and everyone was just going nuts. And then you had general fans saying, like, oh, my God, did the Phillies just find an, an eighth inning arm here the final week of the season? And so let's start with what we know. What we know is that he's been awesome all year. Four different levels started out with Clearwater back in the spring. He's only what, 23 years old. He was pitching at South Florida last spring in college. And the stuff has been awesome all year. I mean, he's got almost 80 strikeouts and I think 53 innings this season. So he is up here because I think the Phillies believe that he can make an impact right now. He has certainly earned the look, if nothing else. And then he goes out and throws the baseball the way that he does. And so I guess let's just start high level here. What were your initial impressions of what you saw from him last night? Well, you saw my text message that I sent you as soon as that inning was over. And I, it, it was it was four words. What a fucking debut. Was exactly <laughs> what I texted you. And 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 I mean and and look, it's one it's one inning of one game against a you know, team that has packed it in a long time ago. Um and, and so you, you got to really kind of pump your brakes a little bit, right? But at the same time, 
you don't see that kind of stuff that often. You know what that reminded me of, Bob? That that slider. That reminded me of when I first watched Kerry Wood. Do you remember? Do you remember that? I mean, yeah. sir, I don't know if you like. I mean, like that's what it was like. It was like this guy just come coming out of nowhere that you had never seen before, and all of a sudden he's got a pitch that moves with uh, that, that's unbelievable. The, the the sweep on that thing, and then oh by the way, after you watched him throw six of them in a row at like 87, 88 miles an hour, oh let me just throw a hundred miles per hour on the yeah. paint, like yeah. I, I, like it's like wh- where does that come from? And to do it in the very first game that you've ever pitched at that level, not look rattled at all. Like, you want to talk about slow heartbeat, man. Like, the, the dude was just out there dealing. Uh, I, you know me. I'm an always, uh, always, uh, you know, whether it's positive or negative, things are going well, things are going bad. I always say, don't get too high, don't get too low. I, I'm that kind of person. And I'm going to say this, I'm pretty much going to say the same thing again here. But, I understand why you could get excited after watching one appearance because it's stuff that you just don't see at you know it's all the time at this level. I know that there was some hype around Sir Anthony Dominguez when he made his debut here, but given his ascension, and it's been a quick one, he was drafted in the fifth round. There was some upside there. They liked the arm, and there was a, a potential thought that he could come and eventually be somebody that makes a difference, but he really took a huge leap this season. And you go back and you read mm-hmm. the reports and I th- who, what's his name on, on Twitter, Matt Winkleman. Like he's like a guy that really dives into the Phillies minor league system. And he, he's like really hardcore into it. And yep. he, he made a note that like he's added three miles an hour, essentially to, to the sinker, the fastball this, this season. And that's sort of taken him to a different level. And there are a lot of people around the sport in terms of player development uh, and, and, you know, prospect rankings that are really enamored with what this, what, what this player could be. And, you know, is it an exaggeration to to wonder if he's the best Phillies relief pitching prospect in the last, I don't know, 20 years? Like, I, I, I don't – I mean, what is it, Dominguez? It's it's Ken Giles probably had some hype around him. Like, who, who else? Who else have they really brought up over the last two decades that you said, like, okay, like, you know, homegrown, late-inning guy, Ryan Madsen? But, like, yeah. starter for a while, you know, like – yeah. So it's 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 really interesting when you when you watch a guy that has some hype and some people know. Like there were people that were not surprised to see what happened last night. They're like, yeah, that's what he is. Like he's gonna be he's gonna be a thing for this team for a long time. The question becomes though, because it's September 25th and the Phillies have you know seven days basically to cement what they're going to move forward with in the postseason in this first round. Is it enough right now? to gamble and say, yeah, you know what? We're going to bring you. And, you know, we find ourselves holding a one, two run lead sixth inning or later. We might go to you too. Like he's going to get probably what two or three more opportunities this week. And if we see this or something like it again, do the Phillies take that gamble? Because we've spent the last three weeks talking about how they're a little bit short, like how the bullpen has been leaky. Who do you trust from the right side? Other than Craig Kimbrell. Like we've had these conversations for a month now. So is this guy maybe the answer to it? Could be. Um, I think that they I don't think they want to say anything just yet, Bob, because again, it's one appearance. And I have a feeling he's gonna probably pitch three more times um this week. I think that the plan they'll they'll plan to get him in three more games over the final six. Um and I think that they're gonna put him in leverage, especially once it's locked up, I think they're gonna put him in leverage situations um just to see how he does right and and then i think they'll make a determination after that i i think there's a possibility that he's and right now this could change over the next week but i think right now there's a possibility that he's maybe not on the first round roster but he's there division series if you get past the can, the wild, can you the walk me card. through the thought process behind that like most people listening to this are going to say well what the hell is the difference if he's good enough let's go yeah and it's so there's it's what i'm gonna what i'm about to say is going to probably anger some people but let's let's be let's just be honest about it okay sure they are paying some guys a lot of money and 
they're going to be on this roster in a maybe in a limit more limited role but like i'll give you like a taiwan walker for example are you leaving taiwan walker off the playoff roster they should but they're not going to this is what i'm trying to say to you what is his use like in what way is Taiwan Walker useful to the Philadelphia Phillies in the first round of? of I'm not disagreeing. I'm not disagreeing. They'll tell you that they'll they could use him out of the bullpen, whether it's you know yeah, if they're down just, if they're down ten one that would be great. Bring him well, out. Yeah, but I'm telling you, I don't see it. I just don't see it. I, and maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, I'll say it. I'll say I'm wrong. I'll come on the show and say, yeah, I misread this one. I just kind of get the sense that that conversation's already been had with Taiwan Walker. Just he was asked a question about it after his last start, and he 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 brought it up, like he was like you know he was asked about where he feels he's at going into the playoffs, and you know how he could help the team, and he brought up the answer, whether it's coming in to pitch one inning in relief. That was the first thing he said. Let's let's not you don't if you've been starting all year and the first thing you say is whether I'm coming in for one inning in relief. That conversation's been had with him. I think that's a very astute observation on your part. Uh, yeah, I I find it to be terribly problematic. <laughs> I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you, but I do think that's a thing. I do think Taiwan Walker is in your bullpen in the first round. That's not to say Kirkering's out. Maybe Kirkering replaces somebody else. You know, maybe you're not carrying Dylan Covey and you say, screw it, we'll bring in this Kirkering. Look, if the kid goes out there and, and is lights out in three more appearances, how do you not put him on? Sure. Right. I mean, so that's why oh, I, th- I think it's I think it's right now, as of Monday, the 25th, when we're recording this, that's the, the plan is probably not the first series. It could change this week, but I, it's hard for saying. me to imagine the Phillies because this never happens to the Phillies. Like, when do the Phillies ever have something just fall out of thin air into their laps that could be a total X factor for them? Yeah, and potentially glaring, uh, uh, potentially addressing what has been a glaring weakness. And I, I don't want to say weakness, but something that has definitely caused some anxiety here over the last month. And and they seemingly have a, a potential solution to it. Now, again, it is one inning against the Mets who are done. Like I, I get all of that. And I, I wrote that today myself. Like let's, it's probably unwise to get ahead of ourselves here, but if he comes out and has three or four more appearances where he is this electric and looks this good, like you're trying to win a championship. You have to do everything possible. Even if it's unconventional to go put the best roster in place to win that championship. I mean, that seems like something that should not have to be said. Like you should be listening to me say that and say, come on, man, like no, no shit. But there's, there's like, I just don't know how you do it. Like what a, what a PR disaster that would be. If you dangle this, this magical development in front of Phillies fans and he goes out and he's awesome for four games. You say, all right, well, thanks. We'll see you next year. Like fans are going to go crazy. You know, the first time that Sir Anthony Dominguez gives up a, a two run double in the sixth inning of a game, you know, it's, it's going to be like, what, what are we doing? Or if Taiwan Walker is out in the bullpen, you know, collecting dust, because let's be real, they're, they're not going to bring them in in a meaningful situation. So uh, it'll be very fascinating to see what the Phillies do about this. It's a good problem to have though. And there's no question about that. Yeah, no, there is no question about it. And um, look, I I hope that he the kid just goes out and does the same thing again against the Pirates and then against the Mets again next weekend in uh, in New York and makes it a, a no brainer, right? Like, I just I hope he does the same. Just go keeps doing what he's doing. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we got to put him on. We we got to carry him. And, and then you don't even question it at that point. It's just like. You know, all right, yep, sorry, Dylan Covey. You've done a nice job in the role that you've that you've and done. We're gonna make and he has. But yeah. again, like you're yeah. not you the, the the way that you validate his existence is you say, if we do have a clunker early on, you know, in a game in a game one, if Wheeler if Wheeler bombs or you win game one and you fall behind big time in, in game two, you say like let's save it. Like that's where mm-hmm. you go to a Walker or a Covey, I think. And that's probably the only way you do it. Uh, that's, that's the way I see it right now. So those two players to me are redundant together 
in a in a three game series. Like you don't need two guys to to, to give you length that that would be low leverage length. I just don't see that. Right. Because it's not it's not a piggyback thing. It's not. We'll get to this in a second. It's not the idea that yeah. maybe Christopher Sanchez can work as a piggyback if you're in a game where it's three three in the fourth inning and you got to make a move, like, and you need two or three innings. Like that's where a guy like Christopher Sanchez, I think, could factor in potentially into even this first round. So let's just transition over to that right now. Christopher Sanchez took a perfect game in the fifth inning last night. Again, 10 strikeouts. He ties a career record that he just set 12 days ago against the Braves for, for strikeouts in a start. He gives up three hits, two earned runs, really made one mistake the entire night. And the changeup, he threw 40 times last night out of his 96 pitches. Mm -hmm. And it was great. I mean, he finished all 10 of the strikeouts with the changeup, a ton of swing and miss. Um, he continues to just be behind Zach Wheeler, the Phillies second best starting pitcher. And we've, we've used a lot of time on the show talking about, should he be their fourth starter in the playoffs? And, and I guess we can address it one more time, but I think that the more immediate question is like, let's stop looking to a potential NLDS matchup and talk about the idea. Could he be potentially utilized in a, in a three game series? Has the changeup specifically been good enough and interesting enough now that you say, yeah, like I would be interested in bringing him out of the bullpen because there's a plus pitch. And I will tell you this, the way that I've evaluated Christopher Sanchez has changed a little bit. Before it was, you have to just look at the numbers. He's been so productive. He's he's give, going five or six innings, one or two runs every time. You see how Lorenzen's not throwing the ball well. Tywan Walker hasn't thrown the ball consistently well. Like you you have to almost by, by one merit and two default Make Christopher Sanchez your fourth starter in the playoffs. But at the same time, I've I've said, okay, these numbers look good, but like, I don't know. Like, is he is he really good enough? Like, can he can he miss enough bats? Like, is he nasty enough to really do this? Well, enter this change up and what it's become over the last three to four weeks here, especially good. Is that enough to make him a relief option now in the first round? Yeah. And the answer to that is yes. And, and Rob Thompson basically said it after the game last night. Uh, his his exact quote was, I wouldn't be afraid to use him in leverage situations out of the bullpen. And hey, look, if we get to October, we're not there yet. For me, he's not out of the question about starting a game. So he's going to be in that Ranger Suarez role from last year. That yeah. Christopher Sanchez is the 2023 Ranger Suarez for the Phillies. He's going to be... You know, we kept talking about Matt Schramm replacing Soto. Maybe, maybe Christopher Sanchez is the guy replacing Soto as as that lefty. I think you've you've noted this. You may have done it last week, or or I read it, but I'm I'm pretty sure you would mention this. the The issue here, though, is that while the changeup is unbelievably good, anytime yeah, he goes hard, it it kind of gets hit around a little bit, and yeah. he is susceptible to giving up home runs. And there is. Like for me, the sense of watching Christopher Sanchez all year to sort of summarize what I just rambled on about is the numbers look good, but there were times when you watched it and you're like, do I believe what I'm seeing? You know, like you didn't just go, oh my, he is overwhelming opponents. Like, this is amazing. You kind of just said like, damn, good start. I don't really know quite exactly how he's doing it this consistently at this level, but he is. And so for that reason, we have to go to him. But now, like that, that I think is the anxiety. Like, if you get into a game and it's a one or two run game, you know, it's totally different in October. And I think that it's impossible having never seen him do it before. Maybe you're just thrust into a situation where you have no choice, but it is hard to project what he has done here this season into a potential playoff appearance, especially in a role which he's never, like, which he has not been a part of this year. Like, do you want to see him go through? The, the middle of an order in the sixth inning, given that he's never, never done it out of the bullpen, you know, that he hasn't done it out of the bullpen this season. So it's, it's really weird what the Phillies have going on right now. We've spent a lot of these recent shows talking about the pitching problems and there's concerns and red flags, call them whatever you want. Now the Phillies have all these like intriguing options. I don't know if I would, I'm ready to say it's a surplus of intriguing options, but they have intriguing options. They don't have a lot of time to figure out what the hell to do with them though. Yeah. Um, couple things of note on Sanchez. First of all, first pitcher in four years to strike out 10 guys on a, on, on a changeup. 
in one game. Last guy to do it was Luis Castillo, who's a pretty good pitcher, right? 2019. Uh, here's a quote from JT. And this is, I think that this is a really, really good quote and really tells you something about how good the changeup is right now. I felt like they were sitting on changeups at times, but we could still throw it because he did such a good job of throwing it down in the zone. He was getting swing and miss with it, even though they were looking for it. That tells you a lot about how good the pitch is, that you know you're getting it, you're sitting on it, and you still can't touch it. Yeah, well, like, I'll, I'll piggyback that. So here's some data to back that up. Yeah. They swung at his changeup 25 times last night. They yeah. whiffed at it 16, 64% whiff rate. I mean, again, like presumably, presumably they read the scouting report and they know that Christopher Sanchez likes to throw his changeup. So they know it's coming. And as JT said, couldn't really do much with it. And yeah. that when you get to that level, when you're a guy that has a pitch and everyone knows that you have a pitch, and not only are you getting outs with it, but you're getting swing and miss at that at that rate with it. And this is not an isolated incident. Like, we, this is what we saw against the Braves two weeks ago. You know, he gives up, what, four runs over seven innings? Like we said at the time, like, you can't celebrate that, but you look at the 10 strikeouts, and I believe seven of those 10 strikeouts came via the changeup. Like, yep. at some point, that's the book on him, and it's still pretty damn effective, and that lets you know you have something there. Yeah, and I think that that's why he becomes – so integral as a bullpen option in the playoffs, Bob, because you you can decide who it's going to be against, right? You can decide where he comes into the game and who's going to chase those change ups, who's not going to be able to to you know get their get their bat on the ball. And, and I think that that's why he becomes. And I don't think it matters if you're bringing him in. You're like, oh well, we need to bring him in against left hand. No, you can throw him against anybody. Right, you can feel comfortable putting him out there against right-handed hitters too. You know, you want to follow up somebody who throws ninety-seven with a guy who who throws a changeup that you can't read and falls off the table. That's a hell of a change of pace, right? From one guy to the next, and then you come back with more speed. You know, Alvarado behind him, right? For example, I, I think it's a middle-inning weapon that the Phillies will will deploy in in such a way that it could be really, really effective for them in the postseason. And if you need him to be a starter in a series because, you know, you, you ran your other guys too long the series before, you, they have confidence that he could do it. So, like, like, it's a really good problem to have to decide what to do with Christopher Sanchez. And one other guy that they're going to have to make a decision on, too, is Michael Lorenzen, who yep. comes in and, and finishes the game last night. And first time that I think we felt good about a Michael Lorenzen appearance in, in a while now. Yeah. Um. Certainly not overpowering. Uh. He he went slow quite a bit last night. Uh. It was effective with it. Uh. Got some awkward looking swings from Mets hitters. I guess, you know, when you evaluate a potential postseason roster and you're talking about Kirkering and who do you who do you leave off if you leave if you put him on, it does does Michael Lorenzen or has Michael Lorenzen now shown enough with that one inning of relief to justify his existence on uh, the the wild card round uh, roster? I mean, do you look at this and say, well, you know, actually, I, I think I need to see him one or two more times. And maybe we're talking about a situation where the Phillies are evaluating Lorenzen versus Kirkering head to head. I mean, do you feel like he's a guy that can come in and, and pitch in a high leverage spot or is he too another he can give us three or four innings if we need it type of guy. Like, how do we assess what we're seeing from him at this point? Yeah, and and that's a good question, Bob. And and really, you know, this is where we get, if we get back to the whole Taiwan Walker discussion, right? Uh, I'd rather Walker not be there and Lorenzen be there because he's still kind of stretched out enough that he could be a guy that you can go for multiple innings if need be. And I, and I do think that, He's he's so apparently this this happened um, after his last outing, which was you know the relief outing that he got blown up and had to come out of the game. He did like some kind of like major apology in the clubhouse to his team, went up to Thompson and, and Cotham and said made this like hardcore promise that he would fix it and be ready to go and be a an integral part of this team for the postseason. It comes out in the first time he pitches after he makes that proclamation, he does a good job. So it tells you that there's something, there's a there's a competitive level in him that you really gotta like. And 
I do think they need to see it a few more times too. I do. I do think again, one inning closing a three run lead in the ninth inning against the Mets on a getaway day, you know, as, as the Mets are getting done. The, the, I think this is their, that was their last road game of the season. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, that's not going to be enough to convince me, but I think it's a good start. And then you see where you're at, but I do think they need to see him a couple more times to say, okay, is his stuff playing like it, like we thought it would play, and then make that decision, you know, at the end of the week, whether he's part of the bullpen or not. Yeah, that that makes sense. And and again, we're talking about a situation today where the Phillies are coming off of a four game sweep. They're right on the brink. There's a lot of good that has happened here. Like and and the fact that we have some intriguing options that you have to mix and match because guys are opening some eyes or they're, they're kind of moving in the right direction is certainly that's certainly what the, the I guess the problem you want to have if you're going to have a problem um, one thing that I do think is a little unfortunate the way that the Phillies pitching lines up and it, it kind of makes me circle Friday's start because they have Taiwan Walker set to pitch against the Mets this weekend on Friday right now is there any thought that maybe you go with an opener in that game for three, four innings, just try to bridge bridge one or two guys across the first three or four and just see what Taiwan Walker looks like entering in a fifth inning. Like, how can you – like, again, I'm, I'm fixated on Taiwan Walker, and it's not nothing against him. Like, it's it's not like – I almost feel like if you're listening to this, you're like, man, he's really – he's, like, really got some some negative things to say, and it's, it's not that. It's just that, like, this is your shot, and I just don't think that he's your best shot. I, I have like a big time concern about putting a guy in a situation that he just, and, and not an elite level guy. I'm not, it's not like I'm asking Zach Wheeler to go take the ball in the seventh inning. I'm asking a guy that, that has struggled to come in the middle of a game that hasn't done it. Like, I guess I'd like to see Taiwan Walker do it on Friday night in that type of situation. Like, let's see you throw three innings on Friday night, come in in the fourth and do it. Like, is, am I nuts? Like, Shouldn't I want to be able to see this one time, especially when you look at how bad he's been in the first inning all season? Like, can he get himself revved up to hit the ground running in the middle of a game? Because, like, he hasn't been able to do it at the beginning of any start this year, it feels like. It's not a bad idea, Bob. And and maybe that does is something that they think about or something that they consider um, once they clinch everything up, wrap everything up. Keep in mind... Yeah, we're we're confident, right, that they're going to get this, uh, you know, this one that they need to get in, um, uh, the one win, uh, probably here, you know, in the next couple days against Pittsburgh. Um, they're not going to go zero and six, right, and miss the playoffs. So they're going to get in, but you know, Arizona is still the, it's a magic number of two, and so you know that could take, you know, depending on how Arizona plays. You know, they beat the Yankees today. They keep playing good baseball. You know, if you lose one to the Pirates, it could take a few games. So they they may they have to stay on a schedule of starters until everything is everything is locked up. Sure. Once, but let's assume that they lock everything up here. You know, the next day or two before you get to New York. Well, then, yeah, I think that's a that's a very good idea. That maybe you should consider that. Maybe you should consider trying something else out just to see what does Taiwan Walker look like coming out of the pen in the middle of a game can you get you know if you're only gonna go for one inning you want to maybe give him a shot at two innings and see how he looks in that spot as well I, I think that's a real smart idea and they keep saying things like you know we want to get this locked up so that we can get every, you know we can get our guys where you know where we want them and put everything in place in the way we want to put it in place so I think that there is an idea of a plan in mind and it's just we're not gonna we're not gonna try anything until we know we have everything locked up. And I think that that's a fair way to go. Um, but I do think that what you're suggesting is actually something that that they could do if everything is locked up before that Friday start. Is there a political consideration in play with him specifically? Like if he were Noah Syndergaard and he was on an expiring contract, yeah. and you just say, you know what? Yeah. Uh, it's not ideal, but we're going to just, we're going to just do this because we don't have to deal with it next year. Like you have another three years of him and presumably he's going to be a, big part or a part anyway of what you're doing moving forward 
is it is it like a, a signal of no confidence whatsoever to include him? And then you have to worry about the player having some lingering animosity in the way that that he was treated. Like, do you have to consider that, or are these guys all professional? And you can say, Taiwan, thanks, man, pretty good year, but let's be honest, it just doesn't make a lot of sense for us right now. Yeah, no, I mean, I I do think that that's at play, and that's why I said what I said at the beginning. And I, I said, I know people are going to be upset about this, right? Uh, but he's here for three more years, and he's got a big, big number on his contract. So mm-hmm. you, you almost have to carry that guy. You don't necessarily have to use him, but it's it, it's it's another level to not even roster him. That's yeah. a, that's that sends a different message. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, like you know, you don't worry about doing that to a Dylan Covey, but you worry about if you expect Taiwan Walker to be a part of your rotation for the next three seasons, if all of a sudden you're like, yeah, you, you know, you won 17 games for us, but you stink. How does he do react to that? that? I understand that. That, that makes, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I, I guess that that probably puts a bell on the pitching conversation, was there anything else that sort of jumped out to you this weekend that you felt like, because we we didn't plan this one out today. We kind of are just winging it. Like, is there anything else that jumped out to you this weekend? They're like, we should talk about this. This is important. Yeah, I do. I, I think that there's a, f- a few things that, you know, and I mentioned this at the bottom of my Harper uh, article the other day. Um, there's a few guys who are kind of scuffling a little bit right now. And, I think it kind of has been glossed over by the fact that they keep scoring runs, they keep hitting home runs, and, you know, certain guys are hot. But, you know, you look at, you know, Bryson Stott, you look at Brandon Marsh, you look at Trey Turner finally got a hit yesterday, right? These three guys have really not been good for a little bit of a stretch here. And it makes you, you know, Stott got a game, a full day off, didn't even get the, you know, last couple times he didn't start but came into the, into the game like halfway through. And I think there was an absolute commitment to it doesn't matter. We're not bringing Stott in to this game unless it's absolutely necessary. And they gave him a full day off. Um, I mean, he's really been, been, been fighting it. Marsh has, is a lot of, a lot of strikeouts, a lot of walks, but a lot of strikeouts. Mm-hmm. Turner's is the most interesting one to me. And I, I think we should start there. He finally got a hit, broke that over 20. But the interesting thing about this 0 for 20 that was different from when he was struggling before the, you know, before the ovations um, is not a lot of strikeouts, only two. So he's been making a lot of contact. It's not been great contact, but he's at least making contact. So he's so to me, it's I look at it and say not as concerning because I don't think I think it might be just like a slump. And he's not chasing pitches to try like, to get out of it. it you know what I'm look saying? Like rock bottom, flailing at everything, no discipline yes. whatsoever, horrible at yeah. that. Like it's it's at least competitive. You know, it, yeah. it, it doesn't look like it's an 0 for 20, but you're right. It has been sort of masked to an extent. And yeah, I mean, I think we brought up Bryson Stott either uh, on Friday or maybe it was uh, last Monday's show, but it's it's been pretty ugly for him. And it's it's been pretty ugly for for him for a while now. I mean, he's hitting 164 in his last 15 games. He's nine for his last 55 with 13 strikeouts. Uh, and he's only walked four times in that stretch as well. So, like, there's not enough walking on base skill to overcome when the bat goes cold. Like, he's got to get hits in order for it to work. Um, and you even stretch that out to his last 30 games. I mean, he's hitting 223 over his last 30 games. And, OPS is, and the OPS is bad. Yeah. Yeah, it if is. You look it's, at that. Uh, it's in like the 600s. I think it's like 637, if, yeah. I, if I have this right. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it, it has not been great. Brandon Marsh in particular, um, there was a time this season where we talked about him, and I don't mean like the first two weeks of the season where he had a top five OPS, but I mean when things kind of got rolling and he cooled off a little bit, there was still some talk like, should he be an everyday player? You know, are we are we kind of disrespecting Brandon Marsh's game to not have him in the lineup every single night? And the way that things have sort of played out here with Johan Rojas making a contribution, you have Christian Pache still running around out there. He can he can do some things as well. Certainly brings big value defensively. Like Brandon Marsh is like kind of a platoon player right now. Maybe he's not next year. Maybe he's not what that that's not what he is for the rest of his career. But right now with where the Phillies are at and the way that he's going, especially kind of hard to imagine him him getting any starts against a, a lefty and like maybe even being in a spot where where he's getting pinch hit for 
in the middle of a game if if the you know a bullpen or the game flow sort of stacks up in a certain way. Yeah, the only the only thing that's that's saving him right now, I think a little bit is you know, the guy that they want to kind of platoon him with, who's Christian Pache, has not really hit lefties since coming back. Right. Um, he hasn't hit a period. And I there's mean, no track record of him hitting right. at all. So it's, it's right. that is a little bit more concerning. Yeah. You know, I mean, but um, yeah, I, I think that I still think that that's the plan for the playoffs. I still think it's kind of, you know, uh, it's going to he's going to play against Marsh is going to play against right handers. And then against lefties, it's going to be some other combination, and probably still Pache. Although you could you could see a situation where maybe in the playoffs you say, you know what, we'll we'll take a risk early in the game to have Schwarber in 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 left field um, against a lefty, and then make a make a defensive substitution or something late in the game if need be. But they would they they don't want to hurt the offense. Um, by by wasting at bats with Pache, uh, I I don't know. I, I think that there's that that is something that is I think a a Bryce said there are still a few things we need to clean up. I think that's one of the things they need to clean up. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt. A um, couple things I I wanted to hit on real quick. I know one of these things especially uh, jumped out to me. So Destiny Legardo, Phillies Nation, the other night was it Friday night? I guess the JT Romuto hit the big home run. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so. He tweeted out uh, Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos, Trey Turner, JT Romuto, and Bryce Harper all have at least 20 home runs this season. It's the first time since 2009 the Phillies had five hitters uh, with 20-plus homers. It was Howard, Abanez, Rollins, Utley, Worth. Uh, there was a time uh, pretty far into the season where that looked like it was going to be almost impossible. Uh, I had followed that up with a tweet that I had made on June 24th. So this wasn't April 18th, Anthony. Yeah. Kyle Schwarber on June 24th was on pace to hit 43 home runs. He's exceeded that. No others, no other Phillies hitter was on pace to hit 20 home runs as of June 24th. JT Real Muto and Nick Castellanos were next closest, pacing 17 home runs. So Castellanos goes crazy. He's probably going to hit 30. Real Muto exceeds it a little bit. And then obviously Harper and Turner come out of absolutely nowhere. And now Alec Bohm even has a shot at it. So you know, he's only one away. Boom. I mean, and, and there's a, a pretty good chance that he gets there. So you're talking about six different Phillies hitting 20 home Which has never back, happened. Never. That's never happened. Never. So, but when you go back and you listen to these shows that we did, you know, back in the spring, and and not that we were the only ones to say, like, the Phillies have a really deep lineup that's kind of relentless and they can get you from anywhere up and down it. Like, that was my big thing. I'm like, it's not just that they have two or three guys in the middle that can hurt you. Like, Every inning you take the ball, you're looking at who's coming up, and you're like, oh, shit, I've got to bear down and make my pitches because I can get burned by any one of these guys. And then you come out and you watch them play for three and a half, four months. They're 20th in baseball and home runs per game. They're 15th to 18th in runs scored per game. Now when you get to the end of the season and you do the, the full 162, you're looking at a lineup that is deep and, and at times can be utterly lethal. So – I'm trying to go into this postseason because we've spent so much time being like the Braves, the Braves. And I know we can get to some injury notes on them that, that certainly change things for them. But it's the Braves are have this historic offense. They're so good. If I had to pick that series right now, I'm still taking Atlanta. I am. But how much of the like, – the season is the season. You have to account for all of it. Like you can't just like – you know, pick a 20 game stretch and say, well, yeah, this was really good. So that's what this guy really is. But they've done this for a while now. It's, it's almost two full months of the Phillies being like big bop, lots of homers, lots of firepower. Like, is it time that we sort of like reimagine this Phillies lineup as not a, a top 10 offense, but like a top five offense that while they're not the Braves, they have enough punch that for three, five, three to five games, they, they could be the better offense. Like, it almost sounds ridiculous because, like, I know what the Braves are and, like, what they've been all year from start to finish. But, like, how much should we put into what we have seen here now over the last two months? There is no team that has hit more home runs since August 1st than the Phillies. And that's not a short period of time, Bob. I mean, that's a that's a third of a season, right? I mean, that's, that's a lot. They've hit more home runs than anybody now. Um, I wrote something the other day when I uh, in that Harper story talking about the offense. And since since the 
the Trey Turner ovation game, right? Which was the last game of uh, that they had lost the first game of that Royal series that they lost. And then they, you know, things went nuts after that, with, the, with all the home runs they've been at, they've averaged 5.98 runs per game. You're scoring six runs a game. You're not getting beat. <laughs> now that's not going to that's not saying that they're going to score six runs a game in October. Things get, the weather gets cooler. It becomes a little bit harder to hit, you know, the hit long balls and um, you know, but, this is 2023 where pitching is a total disaster all over the league. And maybe this year the offense can carry a team through. And yes, I'm still going with you. I'm still with you and still picking the Braves because they are the best team. They have a couple of injury issues now all of a sudden. You're, they're, they got some questions with their rotation. The Phillies are healthier uh, uh, as far as pitchers are concerned in Atlanta. Look, I've said it all along, Bob. They're the, in my mind, they're the only team that can beat the Braves, and I'm not convinced that they will, but they're the only team that can. I, yeah, I think you're right. I think that the offense is top five at this point and that it is good enough to win a series against any team in baseball, whether it's five or seven games. So, yeah, I mean, real quick on on the Braves, uh, Charlie Morton not going to pitch in the NLDS, so that creates a, a hole for, for Atlanta, certainly. Uh, Max Fried goes on the IL. He will pitch in the NLDS, but he will have to come off of a, a lengthy break here to do it. Uh, and, and just one other note, like last night, uh, Spencer Strider uh, against the Nationals, and we know that that the Nationals put the ball in play. We've had that conversation. We've seen Washington pepper Zach Wheeler a couple times this season. Mm-hmm. Strider last night, five and two-thirds innings, seven hits allowed, four earned runs. Um, he only struck out four batters. And, like, when you look at his game by game, if he goes deep, like earlier in September he had a start last two and a, two and two-thirds, he only struck out uh, five in that, but, but he only lasted two-plus innings. So for him to go that deep into the game and only strike out four Nationals batters, like, that kind of raises an, an eyebrow for me. And I'm not sitting here and saying, like, sound the alarm on Spencer Strider. We just saw what he did to this Phillies lineup twice in a six-day span, and he's historically owned this team save the you know game game three start at citizens bank park when he was hurt last year but like yeah like atlanta does have some questions you consider the layoff that we've talked about they haven't had to play meaningful baseball in a very long time they're gonna have to shut it down for a number of days now they've got some starting pitching issues and you saw the phillies get to atlanta's bullpen pretty consistently over seven games in in a two-week stretch like I, i don't know like I'm, I'm on the Braves. I, I'll say, you know, if they get there, like if the Phillies get there, because, like, I will tell you, like, the Diamondbacks, like, I think the Phillies dust the Cubs. <clears throat> I think the Diamondbacks could make a very, very uncomfortable series for the Phillies. Um, I know they don't have a lot of starting pitching depth, but they don't need it in the first round. That That's the problem. They don't, they don't have any bullpen. That's, that's, where, I, that's where I – feel the differences in this in a series because i agree i think that the diamondbacks have a good lineup and diamondbacks will be a frustrating team but i i just think that the the way that the phillies offense is going you you know you get through gallon kelly like you just get them out of the game and get into that arizona bullpen yeah boy there's there's nothing there but you know you you always will do this once you know the matchup you think about the points that are going to cause tension you think about how could this go wrong and like I could just construct a scenario for you where I say Gallon pitches with Wheeler into the seventh or eighth. Maybe it's three, two Diamondbacks in the eighth mm-hmm. inning, and the bullpen is minimized in game one. And then we all know that it's going to be a crapshoot with Aaron Nola versus probably Merrill Kelly in game two. I don't know that I would say the Phillies have the advantage there. I mean, they I think they do, but I don't I don't know that based on the numbers, they don't actually. Right. So then you get to a game like there's just a lot of unknown in such a short series, right? Like I, I fear that we're doing this thing where we're like the Braves, the Braves, the Braves, the Braves, and it's it's really like the, the there's a a potential slip up waiting in front of you here. Like I think that we're all as a city just like Atlanta, you know, like and, and I just hope that they and I don't think that they're this team, but like hopefully they're not doing the same thing because they they can be had in a three-game series against a team like Arizona. They lost a three-game series to the Diamondbacks at Citizens Bank Park earlier this year. Now, certainly different circumstances, but just to make the point, like, this is not a bad team. 
No, they're not. They're not a bad team. And yes, those slip ups do happen, Bob. Um, and I, I would venture to say it doesn't matter who the opponent is. And while I agree with you that the Cubs would be an easier, probably an easier opponent now, Arizona, I, I had changed. I had the order the other way around yeah. a week ago. So did I for a while. And and now I'm starting to think it's not. Now I'm starting to think Arizona is a little bit tougher than than the Cubs would be. Um, Cubs are just more veteran, and that that was kind of my kind of yeah. my thing with that. Like they I just like haven't a veteran played team. very good baseball. Like I know they got some wins this weekend, but like it's kind of Boy, been... I, they struggled again. Yeah, like I watched struggled. that game yesterday against Colorado. They almost they they win by a run. Yeah. They, you know, they were down three one late. They, they it took a rally to come back and take the lead, and then they almost blew it. And they have talk about a team without a bullpen right now. They had freaking Drew Smiley warming up to come in and save the game, like because that that's how bad their bullpen is at this yeah. point. Um, so I kind of agree with you that, that Arizona is a more dangerous team. But even if it's the Cubs, even if it was the Marlins or the Reds, it doesn't matter who the team is. I, I think that your your a three-game series is such a holy hell kind of series, no matter who the opponent is. And so, yeah. you know, I, it, it's going to be nail-biting regardless. But I do think that the Phillies, with their experience and being the better team, will get through that and we'll see Atlanta in the second round and then it becomes fun. All right, well, let's uh, get to one last thing here real quick. Yeah, one last thing, and I, I mentioned this to you pre-show. Um, Arizona Fall League rosters came out, and the way it works is uh, teams around baseball share uh, an Arizona Fall League team. So it's like five teams per team. So there's six a- AFL teams and uh, five teams per team, and the Phillies send to the Scottsdale Scorpions. Um, and, and so Arizona Fall League – for for folks who don't really pay that close attention are usually guys that the teams that send them there have a lot of interest in seeing play a little bit more that season because they're thinking about them as potential prospects down the road or they want to make a decision on a guy or whatever the case might be. So the Phillies, five, six, seven, are sending eight guys to the Arizona Fall League. Now, a couple of them are names that we're aware of. I mean, Gabriel Rincones, we've, we've talked about him back in the spring as, as like a, a, you know, outfield prospect, had his first first year in the, uh, in the minors this year, uh, put up 15 homers, 81 RBIs in, in A-ball, which was pretty good. Um, Andrew Baker, who was a guy that we were all writing about in yeah. spring training, right? And then all of a sudden he had, you know what his season's been like, Bob, in double-A? He's thrown 41 innings of relief, okay? 64 strikeouts in 41 innings. Pretty damn good. Only giving up 35 hits. Not bad. 48 walks. A lot of walks. <laughs> in 41 innings, his ERA is over eight. Yeah, Holy hell. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, but he's going to be there. But then they got a bunch of guys who were Rule 5 guys, um, and a little bit older guys. Matt Kroon, Oliver Dunn, um, Dominic Pipkin. Mitch Noonborn. I mean, these are guys that are like, who? Um, you know, I've not really known much about them. Uh, and I look up some of their numbers, and some are interesting. Some are not so much. I mean, that Matt Kroon guy, he hit 344. Uh, I'm sorry, he hit 319 um, at AA, uh, 344 plate appearances. And then a brief stint in AAA, hit 381 in 76 plate appearances. So, obviously, the guy's got a nice little bat. Um, so he's, But he's 26. Uh, you know, what do you, do you make anything of these? Christian McGowan is another starting. So only only like three of these guys are, are top 30 guys from what it looks like. And yeah, uh, I guess it's just more of like a fact finding mission. Like let's, let's, we have some interesting players. Some have not been productive, but have, I mean, this is every team, right? Have some, some talent. Like let's find out if we can unlock it and maybe they can refine something here. A guy like Baker. And some of these guys are like, you know, like sort of off the radar, under the radar type guys that have had, good seasons have opened some eyes and you say like let's let's see if we can figure out if this is real or not you know is there anything that's usable here um part of it to me is like you look at where this team's at organizationally and you do wonder like are these players that you're talking about going to come up and contribute for the 2024 or 2025 philadelphia phillies it almost feels hard to say that they will so do you kind of get them some more exposure and say, hey, not only did they have a good season, but then they go down there and they play well in the Arizona Fall League, and now all of a sudden there might be a little bit more buzz around some of the names. Maybe it gets a little bit creative in terms of trade packaging. That's kind of what I would make of it, personally. I yeah. can't lie to you that being dialed into the 23 playoffs that I'm all juiced up over the Arizona Fall League right now, but you know, I think that 
the Phillies, I believe, are going to have to add to this roster next year. Like that, this isn't this isn't good enough. Like independent independent of what happens this season, like you've got work to do and you've got questions to answer. So you know, if you can build some value with some of these guys and and, and maybe help get you more in that win now mood, then maybe you do it. Yeah, I agree. I I kind of agree. And I think that that's really what this is. It's an interesting group. Like I always look down at Arizona Fall League and say, "Ooh, they maybe they, maybe they like this guy, or maybe there's something you know." And I think you got one or two of those, but yeah. I do think you're right. I think the rest are fact finding missions to find yeah. out what what exactly these guys are, um, and if they're worth keeping beyond uh, beyond this season. Absolutely. All right. Well, listen for Anthony Sanfilippo. I'm Bob Wankel. Thank you for listening to Crossed Up. We will be back Friday, which will be our final regular season show, Anthony. Uh, you can, yeah, go and ahead. You know, what, you know what we, we know what we should do with that show, Bob? Yeah. We should revisit our preseason predictions. Because I texted you about this. You told me they're pretty good. I did not get an opportunity yesterday morning to go back and, and listen to how smart we are. But maybe we can do that exercise. Uh, maybe we can do that exercise on Friday. Uh, we Look, we had a couple that were wrong. The the one that was... One that was really bad. That was the White Sox. Yeah, we were also wrong about the Padres. I mean, yeah. we we had the Padres win in the West. But man, I went back and listened, and we we nailed the Mets. We nailed the Cardinals. We like we got the Brewers right. Like we got a lot. Right. We got the Braves and the Phillies one two. Like, um, you know, we we got a lot. Texas. We got that right. Like, I mean, there was a lot we got right. And it was just like, holy cow. Like, we don't normally do this great on predictions. And the funny thing is, is that I, I even said it at, at the at the beginning of our, when we're going through the predictions, I say in there, I say, you know, I'm not the greatest at making predictions, but I do feel like I get, a, a, I have a good sense of how the standings are going to finish every year. <laughs> and, Start playing those futures markets next yeah, year. Yeah, holy smokes. We got, we did a pretty good job. Anyway. All right. Well, uh, you can check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you get your shows. Also, check us out on YouTube. You can follow Anthony on Twitter or X uh, at Phil. You can follow me at Bob underscore Wankel. And we will talk to you on. And? And, oh, and make sure that you're checking out the Red October newsletter. You can go to redoctoberphilly.com. Make sure that you subscribe. A lot of people actually are, Anthony. I'm not just writing this for my mom these days, uh, which is very, uh, very encouraging. And you can also read Anthony on Crossing Broad as well. See you later.